Good joke, Taylor. Hey, I want to welcome you once again to Province Road. If you're a guest with us this morning, welcome. It's good to have you here. My name is Blake Hilgenfeld, one of the pastors here. And uh, again, we are very grateful and thankful that you're here with us this morning. Uh, if you are a guest, we are going through a series on the book of Philippians. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, I invite all of us to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to finish chapter 3 this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There's one under the seat in front of you. The vi- uh, verses will eventually be on the screen. But I, I do encourage you to uh, kind of make it a practice to open up a Bible and, and turn uh, to Philippians chapter 3. Let's start reading together in verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction and their God is their belly and their glory and their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Let's pray. Father, we know that as those whom you have called and you have made us your own, that the now aim and the purpose of our life is to know you. And as we know you, we become more like you. So we behold your glory and then therefore we are transformed into that glory. But as we're going to see this morning, Father, we, we struggle at doing this and we struggle to, to know you. And at times we experience this darkness of our souls to where we know that our souls long and thirst for you, but sometimes you're nowhere to be found. And to, to, to know that you are the solution to our, uh, to our heart's desire, but not have you, is a, a dark place to be at times. And so, Father, we come to your word and we ask that you would reveal yourself to us this morning that your spirit would move in a mighty way this morning to give us eyes to see the glory of who you are, that as a result of, of seeing your glory, that we would be transformed into that glory. And the Father, that our hearts may find great peace and rest this morning, knowing that, um, that you've made us your own. And you promise that your grace that has made us your own will sustain us and keep us until you bring us home. So we ask that we would see that that good news this morning, and it would change us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So <clears throat> this past week, I had several conversations with many of you, and, and uh, there was this consistent or common theme throughout most of my conversations. Why, after all the times we read in the Bible and all the times we hear about the wonderful message of God's grace that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, why is it still so hard for us to believe? I mean, why do we still struggle to know and to believe the truths that are found in the gospel, the truths of all that God is for us and all that he has done for us and all that he promises to do for us in and through the person of Jesus Christ? Why is it still so hard for us to know him and to know the truths that are found in the gospel? Last week, we heard the wonderful message of the gospel of God's grace, the, the foundation of, the Christ, of Christianity, which ultimately shows that the heart of Christianity, the foundation of Christianity has little to do with us, but it has so much to do with God, it essentially has everything to do with God. We saw this wonderful message that God meets us in our brokenness, and he meets us in our shame, he meets us in our sin, he meets us in our failures, in our regrets, and he does not say to us, you want me? You want my love? You want my acceptance? Then clean yourself up first. And then maybe, this, this maybe you can receive my love, you can have me, you can come to know me. That's not what we saw. Instead, we saw the amazing news of God's love and grace that he has for us in the person of Jesus Christ, that he makes us our own, that he meets us in our brokenness, he meets us in our sin, and he makes us our, his own apart from anything that we can do or anything that we can do in the future. That's what Paul says in verse 12. Look at it. Paul says that it was... Christ Jesus that made him his own. So it's like Paul was looking back. He's looking back on the day when Jesus met him as he was on this journey or on this road to persecute followers of Jesus. So Paul is looking back to the day when he first encountered the love and grace of God, the day when, when God met him on this road and even when Paul had this record that was filled with the persecution of Christians and the blood of, of an innocent man on Stephen, of Stephen on his record, in spite all of this, in spite everything that was within Paul that deserved God's rejection, Paul met him on this road and he poured out his love and grace and made him his own through the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is the heart of Christianity. This is the heart of God. That God chases down lost and broken sinners who are running away from him and he draws near to them and he makes them his own apart from anything that they can do or ever do. From Genesis to Revelation, this is what we see. God running after people like you and me who have spent our lives running away from God and he meets us in our brokenness. He meets us in our regrets and our shame and our sin and our failures. And he says to us, in spite of everything that within you that deserves my rejection, I want you. 
Why? Simply because I want you. It's not that you deserve it, but I want to make you mine simply because I want to make you mine and I've done everything possible to make you mine through the work and person of Jesus Christ. Guys, why is this so hard for us to believe? Several reasons. First is this. This is not something that we're used to as human beings, is it? I mean, this kind of love and acceptance is not something that we experience from human to human. Grace is not something that we have been accustomed to in our lives. And we learn this from a very, very early age. This week I heard this story of a father trying to express his love to his daughter. And so one night before they went to bed, he looks at his daughter and he says, sweetie, I love you. And she responds back to her daddy saying, well, I love you too, daddy. But then this thought came to him. He, he started thinking, well, does she really know why I love her? And so he asks his daughter, he says, sweetie, do you know why I love you? And he could see like the wheels turning in her head. It was a really, really, really challenging question for her to answer. And so she begins to say, well, it was because of the good choices I made today, Daddy. That's why you love me. I cleaned my room. I was nice to my brother. And because of those good things that I have done, you like to be around me. You love being around me. And therefore, you also love me. You see, all of her responses to the question of why does her dad love her was contingent upon what she did or how well she did it. And so her dad took her little face in his hands and looked into her sweet little eyes and he said, no, that's not the reason why I love you. I love you simply because you are mine. That is the love of God in Christ Jesus. That God says to us that I have chosen to make you not mine, not because of anything special within you, not because of anything you can do for me uh, now in your past, present, or future. I have made you mine simply because I want to make you mine. Guys, this is called grace. This is the love of God in Christ Jesus that that God has made us his own apart from anything that we have done or anything that we can ever do, does not your heart long to believe that this is really, really true? It's hard to believe, isn't it? That God has made us his own apart from anything that we have done. Guys, don't believe the lie this morning. Do not believe the lie that God's love and acceptance of you is still contingent upon what you do for him. We have to let go of that lie that we believe in our hearts that he loves us only when and because we make good choices or when everything in our life is, is pretty and clean and put together. It's just simply not true. Because think about it like this. Think about your life or your past like Paul did. Think about, think about when, when, when God first met you. Think about when he showed up in your life. Think about when he revealed your need for Jesus. Was your life all clean and pretty? 
Did you have everything together when God sought you and made you his own through the person of Jesus Christ? Was everything nice and pretty and all put together? Absolutely not. He met us in our brokenness when we didn't have anything together. And he made us his own. When everything in our lives was not pretty, it didn't keep God from pursuing us and making us his own and whispering his grace to us. I want you. You're mine. Listen, for many of us, we started out in this place. We started out believing this truth that God does not require to clean ourselves up in order for us to be his. We started here, okay? But somewhere along the, along the way, we stopped believing Right? We stop believing in his grace that keeps us and sustains us. And one of the reasons why we forget it or it's a hard time to believe is because we taste our own brokenness today still, right? We still struggle. We still struggle with some of the same temptations and giving in to those same, temp- same temptations for years after years. And when we do, we think to ourselves, we're surely now, Right? I mean, surely now, after me tripping and falling and giving into these same things, which I don't want to give into, but I find myself still struggling with it, now surely he doesn't love me except me anymore. Or, man, I've been struggling with the same doubts, and I've been struggling to, to, to continue to believe the truths of who God is, and I, can, I continue to have a hard time trusting in him. Well, now surely, right? Surely he's ashamed of me. See, we start out in this grace... And we turn from this grace because we go right back into believing that God's love and acceptance of us now is contingent upon what we do. Maybe not at the beginning, but now. So hear this truth loud and clear as we move in this text and passage, as we move further along. That the same grace that met us in the moment when we first believed and God made us his own is the same grace that stays with us and empowers us and sustains us and transforms us and makes sure that we will get home in the end. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. He says, not that I've already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And so here's what he's saying. Last week we, we saw this more clearly, but I'm going to lay it out just real quick. The goal that Paul is saying in the Christian life is to know Christ and become more like Christ. And so the aim of the Christian life is to know Christ, and when we know Christ, we will become more like Him. And so Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He, he says when we behold the glory of God, what happens? We become transformed into that same glory. Now, notice the flow here. It's really important for us to understand the order. So the all-consuming passion of Paul's life is to know Christ and become more like him. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made him his own. The, The order isn't that Paul seeks to know Christ and become like him in order to to for God to make him his own. That's that that order's deadly. Paul simply says that he desires to know Christ and become more like Christ. Why? That's a result of. It's because of Christ Jesus has made him his own. Now, what does he also say? Has he obtained this? Has he attained 
this full knowing and this full becoming like Christ? No. He, he says he doesn't fully know Christ and he hasn't become perfectly like Christ. Now, why is this so comforting and encouraging to us? Well, how many of you still struggle to know Christ? I mean, how many of you maybe this morning you have this intense desire to know Christ and you are seeking Christ, but he's nowhere to be found. And you find yourself really, really struggling in that darkness of, and dark night of the soul, potentially. Like, I mean, you long to know him, but you don't know him like you want to know him. Or maybe you're struggling with a temptation that you've been struggling with for years or you're you're struggling giving in to that temptation and, and you don't want to and you're fighting it. And you feel like you shouldn't be fighting it. That somehow you should be perfect. Well, if that describes you, it describes me. I'm with you. I still struggle. And you still struggle. Guys, I still struggle to, to know and believe that God's love and acceptance of me and forgiveness of everything that I've done and this declaration that I'm righteous and holy and blameless in Christ, it's really hard for me to believe. It's really hard to, to, to know who Christ is and what he has done. And guys, when I look at my life, it seems like I, man, I, I, I still struggle with the same temptations and, and giving in to those temptations that I've been struggling for years and years and years and I hate it. I had this conversation with someone this week that really struck home to me. Um, they, they came up and they were sharing that they have been having a hard time really knowing and accepting this truth that God loves them and accepts them and has forgiven them and promises them eternal life based not on who they are or what they've done, but based solely 100% on the work and person of Jesus Christ. And they have been wrestling with this. And they've been pursuing Christ. They've been pursuing the truths and trying to believe these truths. But it's been, it's been a long journey. And it's been a hard journey. And it's been a hard struggle. And it has actually led them to this place that they begin to think that, you know, I've been struggling with this for a really, really, really long time. I wonder if I really even know him. You see, there is this lie that we believe. That the moment that you come to know Christ, that everything in your life should be perfect. Everything should be roses, right? We, we shouldn't struggle anymore. That all of a sudden, everything that we had wrestled with in the past should just be free. I mean, we're, we're just free from it. And we're never going to struggle ever, ever, ever again. And we feed each other this lie. You know why? Because when we look around the church, it seems like everyone has it together. I mean, I, you know, it doesn't look like anyone else is struggling with it. It's just, it, it's just me. That everyone else has it all figured out, but I don't have it figured out. And then we hear this encouraging word, guys. We hear this encouraging word from the guy who is on the, the number one of Christianity's top 10 list. If there is such a thing, there isn't such a thing, and that's good news. But if there was a top 10, Paul would be the man, right? And what does he say to you? What does he say to me? I don't have it figured out. 
I still struggle. I haven't obtained the goal. I don't know Christ like I long to know him. And I, I'm not like him like I long to be. I still struggle. Why? Because I'm still broken and I am in the flesh. Paul will never, he's saying, I will never have this perfect knowledge of Christ. And I will never perfectly become Christ, at least not in this lifetime. Why? Because I'm broken. And so are you. And so am I. And you know what? It's okay to admit that. Any of you have a hard time admitting that? That you're not okay? That, you know, based on what you, these expectations of social media and other things on your life, that you've got to be perfect, right? At least you've got to put that image out. I mean, what would happen if you showed all your failures on social media? Ooh, that'd be tough, wouldn't it? But there is freedom. Because deep down, you want to admit it, right? You, we all want to admit that we don't have it all together. And Paul, and Paul is giving us this freedom here. Really, God is giving us this freedom to, to be able to admit, you know what? I don't have it all together. I still struggle. I got these doubts. I got these temptations I'm still struggling with. Guys, look around. Do not believe the lie of the enemy, which says this, that you should be perfect, but you're not perfect, but everyone else is. Don't believe the lie. This is simply not true. Paul is giving us this freedom here to be able to admit, listen, I, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. I haven't all figured out. So in your fight clubs, in your missional communities, guys, this is, the per this is why we push you to the fight clubs and missional communities to, to be in community where you can actually share your struggles with one another. And there, again, there's, there, there, is, there is freedom to be able to speak this and be able to say, I don't have it all together because when we become aware and we come to this understanding that no one has it all together, then there is this freedom to be able to share it and to be able to share our struggles and to be able to receive this truth that the same grace that met us and made us God's own is the same grace that keeps you, sustains you, even in the midst of your struggles. Even in the midst of your doubts, your struggles and your doubts does not disqualify you from God's grace. That's why you call it grace. It's undeserving, but it stays with us and keeps us and transforms us more into his likeness over this process, this journey, which the big word for that is sanctification. But his grace is involved in our sanctification because he promises to transform us. Now, we will not be transformed in his likeness and know him perfectly in this life. But one day soon, we will. We will. Look at verse 13. Paul says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the outward call of God in Christ Jesus. So listen, this is what Paul is doing. He's giving us a helpful illustration of a race. Now, what happens to a person in a race when they look back behind them to see where the other runners are? Well, let me tell you a story from my life for what happened when I did this. I was in elementary school and I was racing 
Another kid in the neighborhood, uh, I probably was in second grade, and good thing he was like in kindergarten. So I can finally beat him, right? So we were not on foot, we were on bikes. And so we got on our bikes and we started off. And we were neck and neck, which is sad because, again, we're like two years difference, right? Neck and neck, but finally I start pulling ahead of this guy. Well, I didn't know where he was, and so I look back, which felt like just for a second. But it was, it, it was long enough for me to get close enough to the curb, and so when I turned back, all I remember was I was on the ground, and the mailbox was like 20 feet in front of me in the street. So I turned, and I smoked a mailbox. Now, good thing that it wasn't brick, because I, who knows what happens, right? So just a second, it took just a second for me to look back and see where the other person was, and I smoked a mailbox. So Paul is saying, don't look back or you're going to smoke a mailbox, all right? But really what he's saying, don't look back in your past because your past is going to trip you up. It's going to make you fall. Now, why does it do this? Well, think about your past. When you think about your past and you dwell on your past, what consumes your thoughts? You. Most often time, oftentimes when you look, think about your past, what consumes you is you. So you maybe think uh, because of your past, uh, you have received Christ by faith in your past. Well, then that's it. You got your ticket to heaven. There's no more need to press on to the goal of knowing Christ anymore because you've got him and now your life is just simply idle. And it's probably simply because you've been looking in your past and now everything uh, is just simply about you. You've got Christ and everything's good. You don't need to press on to know him more. Or maybe you think about your past and you think about all your spiritual devotion and your commitment and you feel like, you know what? I know all that there is to know about Christ. I'm good. His grace, I know it. His love, oh man, I feel it and accept it. Philippians, memorized. Like what else do I need? Well, you need to know that no matter what you've done in your past, you have only scratched the surface of knowing the depths of who God is in Christ Jesus. I mean, what do you think eternal life is? Eternal life is knowing Christ. So it's going to take how long to know him? Eternity. That's a really long time, right? So forget about all of your spiritual successes and devotions that has led you to be this place, potentially, that you say, you know what, I know all that there is to know about Christ. I, I know all that there is to know about the gospel. I don't need to know it anymore. Well, in light of eternity, you have only just begun. Get back in the race. Get back to training. Get back into the spiritual exercises of of reading God's word, which in his word reveals the truth of the gospel, which, which re reveals the truth of who he is. Get back into it and, be, and, and, and pursue him, to know him. Because by knowing him, you become more like him. I mean, guys, why settle for a crumb, right? Why settle for a crumb when you can have more of the bread of life which satisfies the deepest longings of your soul? You don't have to wait. You haven't obtained it. If Paul hadn't obtained it, you haven't obtained it. Press on to know Christ. Forget about your past successes. Move forward to know Him. Others of us 
Think about this. What's in your past? Regrets. Failures. Struggles. Sin. Time wasted not pursuing Christ. Failing to love your spouse or kids or friends like Christ. If you find this in, the, in your past, which we all do, if you dwell on them long enough, this is what's going to happen. You're going to become paralyzed by guilt and shame. Lately, if I let myself dwell and think about the past for too long, I begin to think about all the times I've wasted being present with my wife and my kids. All the times I've said yes to other things and said no to them. And I begin to think about the way that I have treated them. Um, this, this spirit of just being really impatient with them and not enjoying them, being really quick to anger and lashing out at them. If I, if I let myself think about those things too much, I begin to look at my life and know that these things are not like Christ and, and, and I've hurt them. And I don't wanna be like that. And so instead of looking at the past and, and seeing how that brings conviction and, and it shows me that, that I'm not like Christ, I'm not displaying the love and the patience of Christ that he's shown with me in the gospel to my wife and kids. I'm not displaying how, how God loves to be present with me and how I demonstrate that by being present with them. So if I begin to think about that, it grieves me. And I got two options. I can get up and press on to become more like Christ, or I can, I can dwell on my past. And if I dwell on it long enough, I'm going to be paralyzed by guilt and shame. And some of us are there. Because the past causes us to dwell on ourselves, and it causes us to forget the one thing that we need. In order for us to, to become unparalyzed, to be able to walk and press on, we forget that our past, present, and future are really not about us. It's about God's grace, which covers our past. And it's grace which promises us this amazing, amazing future. But some of us are struggling with our past this morning. Can't let go of your past. And you're letting your past define who you are. And that's a really, really tough place to be. It's an enslaving place to be, and it causes you to be paralyzed. So if that describes your life this morning, then, then what Paul's saying, don't, forget, like, don't, don't think about your past. Like what lies behind, lies behind because God's grace speaks a better word about your past. And what does God's grace speak or say about your past? Covered. Forgiven. Forgotten. Listen, if God's grace in Christ covers and forgets and forgives your past, shouldn't you? Forget what lies behind. God's grace covers it. And His grace covers you right now. And tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day because he promises us an amazing future. Look at verse 20. We're running out of time, so let me skip there. Verse 20 says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. 
And from it we await a Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Listen, every single person in this world today is looking for hope. And hope is simply knowing that something good is coming in the future. So it could be a new job. It could be a new drug. It could be graduating from college. It could be the promise of satisfaction that comes by from being married and having children. It could be a hope in a government or maybe a new government. Every single person is looking to something in this world for hope. They're looking for something to bring them something good in the future. And Paul is giving us hope in this passage, but there is nothing in this world that can give us the hope that Paul is talking about in this passage because this hope that Paul is talking about is not of this world. Listen, do you realize that if you're in Christ this morning, which means if you are trusting in him as your only hope in this life and the life to come, if you're banking on the, 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 the person and the work of Christ for salvation, then do you realize that your citizenship right now is in heaven? Right now. So Paul is saying. He's saying right now, as we sit here this morning, if you are in Christ, your citizenship is in heaven. Yes, we are still in this world, but this world is not our home. And so in the midst of our struggles today, in the midst of the, of, of the sin we wrestle with, the temptation and the doubts and the, and the lack of faith and trust, in the midst of all of this, guys, we have an amazing hope that one day soon we will finally be home. But we are living in what's called the, not, the, the already but not yet. You see, when God first called you to himself and made you his own, he gave you two glorious promises. That he would cover your past by the blood of Christ and he would give you an amazing future by and through the resurrection of Christ. And what is your future? What is waiting for us as Christians? A life with no more struggles. Can you wait for that day? A life without sin and temptation. Are you looking forward to that day? Yes? A life with the ability to fully know God in all of His glory. A life and body that's finally transformed to likeness of Christ perfectly. You want that? You long for that? Guys, this isn't some fairy tale. This isn't some made-up story that we tell our, our kids and ourselves to give us this false hope of the future. This is a God-given, Christ-purchased promise that one day Christ will come from heaven and by His power, He will finally set us free. It's coming. This day is coming, so what it should cause us to do right now is lift up our heads and, and cause, our, ca cause our eyes to look forward to this day 
when we're finally going to be free from all of our struggles, free from, from, from sickness, free from, from death, free from temptation, free from sin, free to finally enjoy the, the bottomless ocean of God's love and grace. This day is coming, guys. This is the hope that we have. And so not even your struggles, not even your struggles can separate you from this promise that this is coming for us. Why? Because Christ has already won the race. Christ is the victor. And because His grace has made us His own, it's the same grace that will make sure that we get home. If Christ has made you His own, He promises you this morning that He will ensure that you will get home. And when you get home, you will finally receive the prize of knowing Christ fully and becoming transformed into His likeness. This is the power of God's grace. But until then, He says that we need to wait. He's coming, but we wait. We wait in the midst of our struggles. We wait with the fight of sin and temptation. But as we wait, we keep our eyes ahead and we look to Christ, who is our treasure, who is the prize. And one day soon, he will come for us. And when he comes, we will finally have him. We will finally receive the prize of knowing him fully and becoming transformed into his likeness. So until then, may we together seek to know him and to become more like him together. Amen? Let's pray.